Hey guys, Tom Laird, voice of advice from a call center geek, CEO at Expedia. Hey, the podcast is brought to you by Expedia Interaction Marketing. We are a 600-seat call center outsourcer. I would love to talk to any of you looking to outsource any of your customer support or your sales functions, looking for political calling or, or just some extra overflow during the holiday season. If you are looking for any type of USA outsourcing support, hit me up. You guys know my LinkedIn. I'd love to talk. This is Advice from a Call Center Geek, a weekly podcast with a focus on all things call center. We'll cover it all from call center operations, hiring, culture, technology, and education. We're here to give you actionable items to improve the quality of yours and your customers' experience. This is an evolving industry with creative minds and ambitious people like this guy. Not only is his passion call center operations, but he's our host. He's the CEO of Expedia Interaction Marketing Group and the call center geek himself, Tom Laird. Hi there, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Advice from a Call Center Geek, the call center and contact center podcast, where we try to give you some actionable items that you can take back into your contact center, improve the overall agent quality, improve your culture, hopefully improve the, the customer experience. So I've got a, a special guest with me today. We're, we're, we're doing round two. I don't know if I... Uh, <laughs> I kind of talked a little bit about it last uh, last Thursday, but uh, I have a, a great friend here, uh, amazing call center and contact center resource, and, and Fred Shad. And we did a we did this podcast, I guess, one on Thursday, and forgot to turn my mic on. So uh, we're going to try to do this again, um, showing my uh, my podcasting amateurism, I guess. But um, <laughs> welcome, Fred. Um, I appreciate you uh, you kind of taking the time to kind of do this uh, part. Duh. No worries, man. It's a it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure, and I'm I'm honored to be the inaugural first guest on Advice from the Call Center Geek. So uh, here I am, and I hope your audience uh, can get some value out of our discussion. No, I I appreciate that. And hey, let's just kind of dig into this. I know uh, you know we went a little bit longer last time, which was awesome. Which I, I'd like to try to do again. So. Why don't you give everybody just a, a quick background, um, you, um, your company, kind of what you do, and then we'll kind of kind of dig in so that we can kind of set the table for, I guess, your knowledge base. Yeah, sure. So I've been in the contact center industry uh, for a little over 20 years now. Um, primarily, the majority of that has been on the BPO side, uh, the outsourcer side, uh, and having the opportunity to lead multiple business development and client services teams uh, with a few outsourcers, both small, medium, and very large. And that has given me an opportunity to be very instrumental in the deployment of multiple uh, outsource relationships globally around the world. Um, I think 18 countries was my last count uh, in terms of where I've had an opportunity to put put some work. And um, in 2016, um, I decided it was time to branch off and uh, take my next step at my halftime moment, if you will, uh, in my career to set up the call center source and advisory, which really focuses on um, two sides of the house, uh, the buyer side and the supplier side, buyer being uh, those organizations that are looking at outsourcing or have made the decision to outsource and the BPOs uh, who provide those services to help them with business development support ultimately uh, working as a resource to help align uh, their thoughts and help put them in front of the right type of uh, BPO partner uh, and services in that regard. So, you know, we can certainly talk more about that as well, but glad to be here, my friend. Yeah, no, thank I, I appreciate that. Hey, for one of the things that I get a lot 
and, and people question it um, is, you know, that everybody hears the word broker. Everyone hears the word consultant or, or advisor. Can you just kind of maybe steer people into kind of what you feel kind of those terms, what, what I guess you like to be called? I know you're more on the advisor consultant side, but, you know, when, when people hear broker, kind of what do those those terms, I guess, kind of mean? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, to be candid, technically, since ultimately um, what a large part of what I do is, is putting buyers and suppliers together, I am, quote unquote, a broker in an element of the services that I provide. But more so, what I focus on is being a true resource, industry resource, and advisor to my clients. Um, the term broker, I would, you know, in, 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 in most recent years has been really associated with, um, you know, kind of campaign campaigns, you know, folks that typically push campaigns, you know, in certain types of industries, such as uh, more popular ones are energy, lead gen, uh, medical, et cetera. I do not do that. My focus is on enterprise level contact center uh, relationships, helping organizations find those contact centers that are going to be an extension of their business. So, for example, my typical client profile falls, you know, within, you know, three typical buckets, that being a organization that currently has a contact center uh, in-house and is looking to either augment or complement that with a BPO partner, uh, one that currently has a BPO contact center partner uh, that for whatever reason, maybe underperformance, you know, just looking at someone who can better scale or whatever it might be, is looking to transition away from that BPO partner to another. And then the third bucket is typically uh, a organization that has a in-house contact center that has made the decision that they no longer want to uh, manage and operate that operation and are looking for a partner to take over the management of that. You know, kind of a fourth bucket too, what I've found in the last uh, couple of years um, is one in which it's a VC or PE, uh, private equity kind of funded startup. Uh, and it has a lot of money. And I have one particular example that I won't name yet because they won't be launching until a couple months um, that are very uh, it's going to launch big. And they have a need for, you know, a large um, setup of a contact center. But you don't get that that often. It's usually the first three buckets. But um, that, that's typically what I find um, from a broker perspective that that is different is that I don't focus on kind of campaign work. Uh, I really focus on enterprise level um, contact center support. I think a lot of that too is, is now on the outbound side, right? Not that outbound is totally dead because there's, you know, there's still, you know, we're still doing it in our contact center, but you know, a lot of that is kind of offshore. I don't want to say, I I don't want to put anything on like giving a a bad connotation of being shady, right? But there's that side of the business that I think kind of pushes that a little bit, you know, with, with some of the stuff that that's going on since all the new regs have come out. Yeah, it's it's tough. You know, the out, outbound world has caused a lot of pause uh, for um, many BPOs. Uh, and you're right, you know, typically the kind of campaign work, which for the most part is a performance-based setup where if they sell or acquire a lead then they get paid in that regard is done uh, in large part, I see in the you know, out of the United States. Right. Fred, I wanted to, to kind of, you know, one of the things kind of resonated with me, and I think it was, you know, your bucket number three. Um, and, and what do you see or, or when you go to advise or consult, 
when there's a, a contact center that's maybe maybe they have in-house and it's not operating to full capacity or they don't have the technology? What, what are some of the things that you would say, hey, you need to outsource this or, hey, I think you guys have a good base. Let's keep this in-house, but do a couple extra things. Like what, what are some of those things that you see to, to kind of push one way or the other? Yeah. Um, usually when folks kind of approach me with an in-house contact center, it's um, it's usually has to do with, 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 with call handling. You know, they're, 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 they're challenged with either handling, you know, growth or just the dynamics of the call handling experience, you know, that being the technology that they have or, or staffing and things of that nature. So that kind of is one way in which people are drawn, um, you know, to me in that regard. Um, sometimes it's, it's just the performance management processes that are out there. You know, you've got people that have been in that in-house contact center for 20 years and this is how we've done it. And this is how we've always done it. Right. Right. You know, and, um, sometimes in breaking that mold, they have to go outside to put somebody on task, even if it's just on an overflow basis to say, see, <laughs> if we do this with someone here, are some of the tools that, that we're now able to get with the analytics, with, with performance, you know, we aren't a six minute handle time organization uh, because we've got a partner now who's been doing this on an overflow basis and is doing it at five minutes handle time and look at their quality score. So, you know, maybe we need to find a way to to position, you know, some of the things they're doing versus the other. So, um, you know, it, it's just a number of things, you know, uh, my role is really to kind of come in and just kind of shut up and listen and, and observe <laughs> and then offer a recommendation. Sometimes it's very difficult because uh, that path is not of least resistance um, because sometimes it's above, it's an edict from above that's gotten in touch with me <laughs> to look at a right. contact center. And then ultimately when you're dealing with the players who are in the contact center, um, there is, there can be a brick wall or there can be, you know, you know, a joyous handshake and let's get this done. But, you know, it's just a observation of uh, what the situation entails and how we move forward. But those are just some of the things. For what are some of the, the centers and I guess, how do you choose a partner for a partner? Right. So, like, do you are there there are buckets? Like, you know, this is a good sales center. This is a good support center. This is a good tech support. Um, you know, through your kind of knowledge and the knowledge base you have with the centers, how do you kind of choose the right partner for uh, for a, a client? Yeah, and and there really is no secret sauce. Um, a lot of it has to come down to um, you staying engaged in your industry. Um, you stand engaged in the market and the markets that are out there and kind of knowing who uh, is doing what. Having been in the BPO industry for 20 years and having been challenged and competed against, uh, you know, some very strong BPO partners, obviously, you know, those organizations are those that I align myself uh, with. Then there's also kind of like yourself, Tom, you know, as being a BPO service provider, you focus on trying to have the best performance management tools, technologies and things of that nature as an advisor. Uh, when you flip it to me, I try to do the same thing. So uh, I think I mentioned to you not too long ago, a couple months ago, I was down in um, 
I was over in, in South Africa with the trade mission of contact center executives to spend uh, about eight days there to understand that particular market and understand um, what things are going on there. Had a chance to visit with about a couple dozen contact centers uh, and also some Fortune 500 clients who were there overseeing their program to understand a little bit more about what brought them there, who's doing what, et cetera. Did the same thing, Central America, do it across the U.S. as well. You have to spend time in your community um, to understand who's doing what, where are those hidden gems. Um, then obviously, uh, over time, you create a bench, you know, your, 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 your top 10 or whoever it might be that you include in this process to be, um, you know, put in there. But it's just a, a fit in the feel. Um, you know, I'm not going to tell you there's any secret sauce. Well, you have to do this and here are the key things. No, it's really, you know, understanding who does what and what industry uh, experience counts, um, your network counts, you know. So, you know, if you're looking for someone who's, um, you know, very strong in consumer electronics or financial services, you can obviously look into your network of uh, centers who are currently performing this. Um, reach out to them. You can look at clients that have done similar work um, and make those uh, alignments and um, be very successful at it. So uh, it's just keeping keeping your feet in the game is very important to selecting. And Fred, I have a, I have a note here from from our, I guess, podcast 1.0 that we did. And, and you were talking about, you know, that there's roughly, um, you know, kind of on last kind of about a thousand different BPOs um, that are out there. Yeah. It is very difficult to navigate that sea when you you're looking to outsource to know who's, who's doing what and who's, who's good and who's not. Yeah. It's important, you know, and I also said in that session too, I liken it to, um, like a real estate agent, you know, where, um, say you're looking for a house, four bedroom, uh, three baths, finished basement, two car garage, and three thousand square feet at a certain price. Right? Um, you can certainly, you know, what do most folks do when they are looking for a contact center partner now? Right? They may, they might go on the internet, Google, check in with your local service associate. I mean, I mean your yeah, your local uh, association to see right. who are the players in the in this place, and you reach out directly, and you may have some good luck with that. Um, but then like a real estate agent, you know, maybe you want a, a more strategic approach for that house. Right. And you want someone who understands that market that understands the nuances of those comps. Um, what areas are better than others? You know, if you locate in this area here, are the type of schools, you know, et cetera. And uh, they may come up with the top, you know, five uh, homes that you want to start with. And you can go from there. You know, I'm very similar in that regard. Uh, because what I really try to focus on is being strategic for you, just trying to understand your requirements and we'll come up with an initial, you know, target of centers that we can look at, uh, based on your requirements and, and go from there. And it's not prohibitive for you to bring anyone else into the process, but we've been very successful in that regard. And, um, I think it's very important to, to find someone or be very strategic in that approach. Fred, as, as kind of technology has been kind of evolving and things obviously are, are really rapidly changing, have you seen a difference or, or what, what functions you know, do you see as commonly being outsourced? Is it a, is it a specific channel? Is it a specific um, call type, um, business type? Is there, is there something that kind of stands out from, from that standpoint? Um, you know, the typical buckets you see are customer service, you know, sales, tech support. Um, 
you know, overflow is generally a um, gateway approach to outsourcing. And within that, uh, you have your email and chat and all the things that kind of drop down uh, into that. Um, you know, I, 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 w- I would say, you know, it's it's those customer facing roles, right? Um, you know, customer service, sales, and um, that's kind of what I see come into play most of the time. You have clients that come in, um, you know, kind of with the hair on fire. Sometimes there's there was one approach uh, that I was met with last year or two years ago, rather, where I had a client who um, in about eight months time went from zero to 90 FTEs and uh, the growth had not dissipated whatsoever. So, you know, they were looking for some immediate overflow, but more specifically a long term partner that can handle, you know, that that scalability. And so, you know, we were able to find a domestic partner in that regard. But um, it just really depends. Um, But customer service sales are typically your most common ones in in the customer facing role. Uh, So, you know, warranty support, um, you know, kind of where's my order, order support, things of that nature are typically those that kind of fall through. Fred, do you see from a technology standpoint as well, you know, I know a lot of internal call centers, they're 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 kind of stuck from a budgetary standpoint or, you know, whatever the, the, the execs, whatever they, they kind of value is kind of what trickles down to the contact center. But is there, you know, some of the newer technology like speech analytics, those types of things, are there, do you see a need for those when a, when a customer comes to you and says, Hey, this is where our technology platform is, or don't, do they not know what they don't know? Like, do you, I guess, what's the level of, of uh, expertise when it comes to that? Are they asking for certain things or are they kind of surprised with with some of the things that are out there? It's a mix. There are some very astute clients that know specifically what they want. You know, Fred, this is what I want. I want somebody who's, um, you know, got speech analytics that has the ability to integrate AI. You know, they're they're on the money. Right. And then there are those that are, um, you know, here's what we're doing. We're a 20 year old company. We've had our call center for 15 years. Things seem to be going well, but. You know, we uh, have made the decision not to enhance our technology. And so let's see what we can find. Right. And so everything from that point or with that particular customer is like a surprise and delight. Right. Because they're still still getting, you know, what they think are, are great reporting, which can be sent via email every 30 minutes instead of having a portal. They can go on and look in real time and see graphs and things like that. But in that case. They, they know only what they know, right? right? You know, so technology is great. Um, uh, all the things you said, like speech analytics, and I try to be, you know, very, you know, in my role, <laughs> you know, kind of step back and not very purposeful with what I recommend, but I love speech analytics. I love um, the, the things that that does and the different tools that it provides clients, but I think it's really important for for clients to to, to kind of look at that um, and more specifically look at who's working the equipment, because that's one thing that I've always stood firm by um, with regards to technology. It's not about, you know, the technology brand or or kind of who you're using, but like who is working the equipment, because it still is very important that you have people like you, Tom, and strong agents and associates and strong IT people that know how to leverage it. And so in that process of evaluating centers, I take a very good look at how 
the tools that they do have in place are being leveraged across their clients because you could have you know multiple centers that have very similar technology but i'm seeing this center is kicking it kicking butt in this center over here they've they've got very similar technology if not the same technology and they're just doing okay so what's the difference when you talk to these you know managers or the owner or the it guy they're gun ho and look at this new trick we found or look at how we could leverage this or look at how we could do that so the little things when you go into um you know a setting are kind of who's working the equipment, right? You know, and how are they uh, leveraging it and what are some of the ways they get excited about it and infuse that in their client relationships. So, you know, I, I, I think that kind of goes pretty well. I do, I do this little uh, 15 second call center tip of the day, just trying to play around with some TikTok um, and, and on that platform. And, that, and that's kind of what I talked about today was you know, so many of us don't utilize even the technology that we have. We're always like, hey, what's next? What's next? But then we don't realize that we're we're only using twenty five percent of 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 really of what we have, and you really got to dig down into even what you have, and and because I guarantee you, you know, not most platforms are pretty darn good. You know, some are better than others, but um, it really does come down to the use case, to the drive, to the you know the want to of the center to to really kind of capitalize on a lot of stuff that they already have. Yeah, absolutely, Fred. I want to take a trip because this is you're a really cool person to talk this through because you have you have placed business all around the world you have been to centers all over the world you kind of understand the the differences when it comes to quality when it comes to pricing and obviously this is a question that that a lot of people have is can you kind of take a a trip maybe starting in the states and and let's talk about pricing um you know pricing when it comes to outsourcing as you're kind of moving from onshore to nearshore to offshore to you know far offshore um, and kind of how you see that playing out from a quality and from a price perspective? Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing I'll start with is just the general commentary. Um, it's important to understand what is it you're looking to outsource and why and what are you trying to get out of the relationship before you go, um, you know, shopping around the world. Because um, people don't choose a location simply because of the location. They choose the location because of the business model it represents. So you need to make sure first, we understand what it is you're trying to achieve. Is it language? Is it is it a true cost play? Are you looking to scale? Are you looking um, you know, for great quality of English? You know, et cetera, et cetera. And that will start the ball rolling and, you know, where we go either stateside if we decide to stay home or if we go overseas. So with that, let's start at home, right? You know, so in the U.S., obviously, we have a very strong uh, economy, stable, uh, very strong uh, workforce. Depending on, you know, the U.S. city that you ultimately select for your center, you can have a great complement of language support, uh, like some of the far east and west coast cities and also in Texas and Florida, you obviously have a very strong Latin population and then a co-mingling of other, um, you know, European languages as well. So those might be cities that uh, you look at there. But let's look at price. Take a, I'll just say the general of generalists um, uh, customer service program with an agent skill set that has about one to three years of experience. You're generally going to find in a competitive range in the U.S., pricing that falls around 27 to 30 bucks an hour. Um, that's typically what you see um, 
to have a starting expectation on price in the U.S. Um, then as we go further south, let's take it to Central America, you know, um, you know, Mexico on down to, say, Panama. The price range is going to be pretty wide, depending on which of those uh, countries that you go to. You know, it's going to fall somewhere between like 10 and let's say $17 an hour. Uh, Mexico is, is very aggressive uh, in, in pricing. You know, so is Guatemala. So you're going to have some, some real strong favorability uh, in pricing in those areas and scale in, in language as well. In uh, South America, um, I'd probably say the two strongest markets, you know, for U.S. support that I'm seeing right now uh, continue to be uh, Colombia uh, and Argentina. Over the last uh, several years, Guyana has emerged uh, very low cost, uh, excellent English, actually probably the only English native English speaking country in South South America. So uh, that's become interesting. Um, you know, scale is something you have to consider in certain of those markets as well. Uh, so that pricing in that area is going to typically fall somewhere between like ten to sixteen dollars hour as well, depending on you know the type of function you need, English, Spanish, etc. Uh, if we go over to the EU, you know, and um, in Europe and UK, that's going to be an interesting market for a U.S. client because typically you don't find a lot of U.S. programs being serviced out of the EU, UK, because uh, typically when you go out of the U.S., there's a cost play that's usually involved in that save for those opportunities where you have specific needs for language support, or it may be a U.S. corporation that may have offices or a larger customer base in those markets. And therefore, they need EU and UK support to support those customers over there. But generally, you don't see because pricing in those markets uh, is going to be north of $30 an hour. I mean, so it's going to be it's going to be very expensive if you look at it from a business model of supporting U.S. based customers with those type of well, with, with the EU based center. So typically it's kind of regional support in those in those areas or specific language support, which you might need in scale to support a large cluster of those in language customers. Like maybe like the Nordic languages or, or correct. Like- correct, 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 correct. Um, going down to Africa. And again, um, I had a, a very good, uh, good trip there. Learned a lot. Actually, one of the things I learned, which I found, which has brought me a lot of optimism for Africa, uh, is the fact that uh, they are now in a very price competitive situation with uh, the two major offshore markets, that being India and Philippines. And I say major because in terms of great scale that you can get over and over, um, you know, in those markets, uh, it was very difficult to find until uh, recent years. Um, about five years ago, six years ago, whatever it was, uh, this, the World Cup came to South Africa. And what that did, it provided a infrastructure that was left behind by the World Cup because they uh, put in quite a bit of uh, telco infrastructure, which significantly reduced the cost of telco for the BPO space there, which is not a new space. It's been around for 20 plus years, but for many years it was cost prohibitive as an offshore market like the Philippines and and, uh, and, and India in large scale because of its telco costs. Since that time, it is now right in the mix with Mexico, with Philippines. It's, it's like a 
10 to 13 bucks an hour on average is what you can find there. But more importantly, it's a very scalable country that is getting a lot more play uh, over the last three, four years. Like I said, I've, I met with a couple of major fortune 500 clients there that have got hundreds of seats now deployed within the last three years and others that were coming over. Um, and the English there, it's a different kind of English, right? It's one that is very appealing to an American customer. Just think mixed between UK and Australia. It yeah, is a very, awesome. I mean, we, we kind of get you know, I mean, that's what we want on our voicemails, right? You know, right. <laughs> you know. So um, when you think about that, that's why I have a lot of optimism because we've been kind of waiting on the next kind of big market to to open itself up, and I think there's a lot of play there. But again, you know, when you look at all these markets, um, you know, it's still very noisy. So it's kind of like you need to know who to go to. You need to understand. Who are the players in these different regions, you know, because it's very noisy. And um, that's kind of when I get back to that real estate approach is like you can go online, you can, you know, talk to, you know, a few people, but you, you kind of just need somebody to help guide you, you know, in the right direction. Someone who's kind of, you know, put boots into the centers and boots on the ground to say, hey, boom. Fred, um, do but- you still see the, the, Kind of that that Indian and that that kind of Asian, the, the Philippines as a as a. I mean, obviously they're still a huge player, but is that is that waning? Is that still a huge play? Um, how do, how do those guys come in or, or are still in the mix? I mean, they're, they're, they're still strong strong countries. I mean, they've got great infrastructure, great government support. Um, you know, great skill set. I mean, it is still a destination. I think. Um, if you looked at the curve of, say, the U.S. call center market and those two markets, because they've been in the industry now as long as they have, and they've got just about as much experience as, as uh, you know, in terms of capabilities to perform as would a center in the U.S., um, I, I would say if you looked at the bell curve of maturity, they're probably approaching the maturity that the U.S. contact center market is at. I know that's probably going to you know, stress some people out, but I'm saying the maturity in terms of what they can right. do and how they can do it in terms of whether they're going to grow another two or three X over the next 10 years. That remains to be seen. I would say with other markets like South Africa, with technologies coming out like AI and a bunch of cost reduction, um, you know, platforms and strategies that are being deployed, I would say maybe not. I would say you have to look at the kind of smart outsourcing and and maturity that uh, is occurring in the industry and what custom consumer behaviors are looking like. Um, but I think they've reached a very mature level in their capabilities. You know, I've been to both those countries, you know, brilliant, <laughs> brilliant what, folks there. What you, what you see as cost factors then in both of those places now? You mean you mean pricing or, yeah, or pricing? Pricing, correct? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So so like India, I mean, you know, if you go back office, you can get pricing, you know, as low as you know probably seven eight bucks, um, you know. But uh, on average, I would say the range there is still very consistent with most offshore markets. Uh, if you want a good quality performing, you know, vendor, it's going to be somewhere between ten and fifteen bucks an hour, probably in many cases. Uh, you know, south of 15 bucks. But, you know, in terms of making sure you find a good quality vendor that can scale, that can put the money behind it. Um, you know, if you stay within that range, you'll probably have a good, good find. Fred, and then the last thing on this topic is, you know, I know that there's an emerging kind of Eastern European market. 
Um, I get, you know, kind of, kind of hit up on LinkedIn constantly by a lot of those, those guys and, and guys that own those centers. You know, what, what do you kind of see as, as that market, um, you know, kind of that, that Western Russian Baltic Albania, that kind of space and play. It's been around for a while that I know. Um, what, you know, the, the Eastern European market, for a good portion of his of, of its emergence was kind of like the European offshore, European nearshore, if you will, because of the language, because of the cost structure, because of the alignment with uh, those cultures, kind of like, um, you know, North Africa, like Tunisia and Morocco mm-hmm. were offshore to to French and European because of because of the language and component there, but the quality of English, um, it still presented a very you know um, it, it presented an accent. I'm not going to say strong, but one that uh, might not have been as appealing as they would have liked in the U.S. Not to say that there aren't work being done in North Africa because there is, and in Eastern Europe because there is in the U.S. But it's not in large scale like some of the countries that I mentioned before, great for language, you know, support, because I know in like Turkey and a couple others, you get a whole lot of different, get a languages as well. Right. But I would say um, you're seeing some campaign work, a lot of campaign work coming out of there, um, which again is not an area that I kind of focus on. Um, you're seeing some back office work. Uh, I see a lot of virtual receptionist work coming out of there, which is good because a, you know, again, it's kind of like this, kind of like the, um, South African accent I talked about. It, it, it's kind of cool to have a small business and you hire a virtual receptionist that has a foreign language. It makes you, right, right. <laughs> you know, we, we, we get excited about the silliest things, but I, I see a lot of stuff out of that. Um, I just haven't seen a big scale, um, push, you know, in the U.S., that is. Obviously, it's it's made its bread and butter on EU support, you know, and uh, UK support and stuff like that, languages. Um, but that's just my take on it. You know, yeah, no. I know I'm going to get hit up by some of my partners who are in Ukraine, right. and, you know, and, <laughs> and some others. But it, it, again, I, I just have to stay agnostic. This is Fred Chatting's view. This is one data point. You know, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> but uh, it's um, it's kind of what, what, what I see, you know, based on the, the enterprise level um, contact center advisory that I do. I just it's a, it's such an it's interesting there, topic. But it's just, you got to find yeah. the right fit, you know, <laughs> it's such an interesting topic, you know, to, to, to think about, you know, even how 20 years or, or 15 years and how things have evolved and um, how the world is, is kind of so much, I guess, closer. But yeah, man. I uh, I really appreciate it. If you uh, appreciate you kind of taking the time here too to kind of you know wisen us up on on some of this the, this stuff that I know um, I think is is pretty interesting. And um, anybody who's listening to this podcast is definitely a hardcore call center person. Um, so I'm I'm sure that they would find pretty interesting too. Can you uh, maybe just talk to people and, and let people know if anybody's interested in talking to you, getting a hold of you. Um, what's best methods or phone number or whatever you'd like to give. And, and uh, guys, I'll put this kind of in the show notes uh, as well. Yeah. Um, as you know, Tom, and I'll tell everybody, I, I walk through the LinkedIn door every morning. So LinkedIn mm-hmm. is is uh, the best way to reach me, shoot me an invite or a direct mail. Be glad to have a side conversation with you or share any thoughts. Um, my email is fred 
at thecallcentersource.com, all one word. And my direct uh, office line is 240-696-4111. And my website is thecallcentersource.com, all one word. And uh, be glad to chat. All right, Fred. Hey, I appreciate it. And then, guys, it's just kind of the closing. We've uh, I just want to thank again everybody. We've hit over twenty five thousand downloads of the podcast, which is pretty awesome. Um, it is continuing to grow. I'm sure that this uh, this episode will do extremely well with uh, even again having Fred and, and having the knowledge that he has. Please, if you have uh, not joined the community, please head over to. Uh, Advice from a Call Center Geek Facebook community. That thing is growing by at least five to six people every single day joining. And again, it's no selling. It's just just kind of like-minded call center colleagues that are kind of talking back and forth about issues or any problems that they have. Um, and again, you guys know where to find me on LinkedIn. So again, Fred, thanks, buddy. Thanks for uh, part two here. You bet, my brother. All right. Well, All right, thanks I'll- for having me. And uh, <laughs> I really appreciate it. And thanks for listening, those who hung out. And uh, listen to the whole thing. I really appreciate it. Hope to hear from you. I appreciate it, Fred. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to everybody next week.